I'm thankful for where we're at in 1 Corinthians, and it's just in the Lord's providence that as we've been studying through this letter, the timing of, of, of looking back at 50 years of, of anticipating our missions conference uh, coming up starting next Sunday, and, and so this is the kind of passage that helps sort of recenter us and, and give us a renewed focus as a church, what our mission is as a local church, and so this is an invitation that the Lord has given us, really, I think, to recommit ourselves to His, His disciple-making mandate that He's, he's called to us. And so, uh, so the context is somewhat unexpected. So it's, we're in this section of 1 Corinthians, as you know, if you've been with us, where we're in chapters 8 through 10, he's dealing with this question that the Corinthians were struggling with about food sacrifice to idols. And, and so it's in that context, though, that we, we find this wonderful word to us at, at, this, at this time. And so the Corinthian church, if you've, been from us, if you've been with us from the beginning of this study, or if you know anything about this letter, this, this church was, was deeply rooted in the gospel, that God used Paul to plant the gospel there and then to water it for about 18 months and living alongside these brothers and sisters, this new church plant, and, and he used others to, to water it. And so God caused the gospel to take root and for this church to sprout up and to flourish there. And so, as, as, so God's church in Corinth, was, Corinth, as we saw in chapter 1, was rooted in this, what was considered a foolish and weak, this message of Christ crucified, the word of the cross, which is actually the very wisdom and power of God, Paul says. And so, but as the years went on, there began to grow what we've called this dissonance problem in the church there. There was this disconnect, this disharmony between who they were, their identity in Christ, because of what Jesus has done, and then how they're living, how they're thinking, how they're relating to one another, how they're talking to one another. So there were all kinds of problems that, that sprouted up. This is always the natural regression, isn't it? I mean, we, living here in Georgia, I can testify that if you just, if you do nothing, if we did nothing to this field out here in about 10 years, it would be a forest. It would be overgrown. You couldn't walk through it. And the same in my yard. And in the church, though, if we don't actively keep the focus upon Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and we'll, we will begin to be taken over by and shaped by other influences other than the gospel. And so the Corinthians are being shaped, we said this last week, more, more by their slogans than they were by the gospel. They, they were defined by their, quote, freedoms and their rights and their, their supposed knowledge and, and their convictions about different things. And so this is what really defined them. And so what Paul's doing in this letter, he's calling them back again and again in each one of these issues to the centrality of this simple message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the gospel, to think about everything in life through the lens of this good news of Jesus Christ. And so that's how Paul addressed disunity in the first chapters of this letter. This is how he dealt with sexual immorality. This is how he's been now dealing with his question about idol meat. This is how he's going to deal with their questions about gifts and, and order in the church. And so, he's, he's, so in this section, he's going to give very specific instructions in chapter 10. So this whole section, 8 through 10, is dealing with idol meat. And so he's going to get in verse chapter 10, he's going to say, okay, this is forbidden. You can't do this. This is acceptable in some cases. And so he's going to get to the, really the nub of their question. But before that, he answers their questions directly, he deals with the, the deeper, more fundamental issues that were behind their confusion and conflict over these things. And so he wants them to see, again, all of this through the lens of the gospel. 
And, and so in chapter 8, he lays that foundation of, of, the, of the need to be shaped more by the gospel than anything else. And then in chapter 9, as we were seeing now, he holds himself up as an example. That's always a, something I try not to do as a preacher. I, but Paul, here is an apostle. He holds himself as an example of, of one whose, whose life is more shaped by the gospel than anything else. This is what drives him. And as he does that, toward the end of chapter 9, where we're at today, he gives us this, this driving motivation in his ministry. This is why he does what he does. This is why he, he's restraining his rights. This is why he's willing to say, I'll never eat meat again if it, if it, if it would cause a brother to stumble. This is what drives him, not just in terms of food, though, but in every aspect of his life and ministry. And so he's, and, and, and he's saying this, not to, to brag about himself, not to just say, hey, this is, this is who I am. He's saying this so the church will model this. He's going to get into the very last verse of this whole section, chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You see, he wants them to adopt this. This, this is their own philosophy of ministry. He wants us to. The, because what? They, they were becoming so ingrown as a church. And then they were clinging to that bumper sticker kind of version of Christianity. They, they were becoming this kind of cloister, uh, Christian cloister, rather than this missionary outpost in that region. And so because, because what mattered most to them became about doing things that they, the way they thought they should be done, not the progress of the gospel and the glory of God. So brothers and sisters, we need this reminder as well. We need it, and, and that's why it's such a timely thing. If the Lord tarries and we have any hope of remaining as a church for another 50 years, faithful to the Lord, we, we, we have to embrace this ambition as our own. And, and I'm thankful for that legacy we've enjoyed, but we have to continually recommit ourselves to this. And if we're going to keep our foot on the accelerator of world missions, as we're going to be called, calling ourselves back to starting next Sunday, we have to recommit ourselves to this, this very compelling vision of the church and what we're to be most concerned about. And so how can, how can Baraka Bible Church remain faithful to the charge that the Lord has given us for another 50 years or until Christ comes back? How can we do that? That's what we're going to see this morning. So last week, you remember we saw for the sake of, for the, sake of the gospel and out of love for others, we, we have to be willing to restrain our rights. And so he's going he's gonna to connect that again today. And so remember back in chapter 13 of 8, he said, hey, I'm, I'm willing to do anything, give up anything for, to, to keep uh, my brother from stumbling. And then in verse 1, he comes back and he says, hey, listen, though, that doesn't mean I'm not free. I'm, I'm free. I'm, I'm free in ways you can't even conceive because you think freedom is being able to do what you want, when you want. He says, no, freedom is being able to say, I don't have to do that. I can set that aside for the sake of the gospel. And so now he's going to come down to verse 19 and listen how he begins. Here's that word free again. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win more of them. What's he saying? He's saying there's something more important to me than my freedom and my rights. Can you say that? Can I honestly say that? Is there something more important to us as Christians than, than our rights and doing what we want? Uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, in one of his earlier works is, is called The Freedom of the Christian. And he opens this, this book with these words. Just listen to this. He says, this is how he begins. To make the way smoother for the unlearned, for only them do I serve. 
I shall set down the following two propositions concerning the freedom and bondage of the Spirit. Now listen to this. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. You hear that? That's the spirit of verse 19. Luther's, Luther's getting this right from Paul, from this text. Subject to none in one sense, subject to all in another sense. Can you say that today? Though I am free from all, I make myself a slave to everyone. That's a very searching and challenging passage. So how can Baraka remain faithful in our charge for another 50 years or until... Jesus comes back. There's these three ongoing needs that have to, we have to be aware of and, and, and cling to. The first one is this. Here's the first need. We need to be controlled by a dominating passion. A dominating passion. This, the most important thing for Paul in the service of Christ, and he mentions it in every single verse here, he repeats it over and over again, so we cannot possibly miss this. What's his driving, dominating passion? What's the most important thing to him? You see it in verse 19. To win more of them. Verse 20. To win Jews. To win those under the law. To win those outside of the law. Verse 21. To win the weak. Verse 22, verse 22 also, so that by all means I might save some. And then in verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. This is, his, this is what drives him. This is his controlling passion and purpose. This is what this man is about as an apostle, as a Christian. This is what he eats and drinks and sleeps. This is what he lives for. This is why he gets up in the morning. What? To bring glory to Christ by winning people to faith in Jesus. That's the great dominating passion of his life. He's saying, this is, the, this is what's most important to me. Not my rights. Not my freedoms. Not the ability to do what I want, when I want. Not that I should, should show everybody how liberated I am as a Christian. No, it's this. That I can win people and bring them to the Savior. It says in verse 23 again, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. This is his dominating passion. When he woke, when he lay down, when he ate walked about every moment was this, this this there was this great drumbeat in his brain to win them to win them to save he walked around cities he looked at crowds and he's he's thinking oh that I might win them he traveled through the ancient world to win them to save them he suffered beatings and imprisonment and criticism to win them. He was hungry and thirsty and cold to win them. He opens his heart here and says, this is what I want. This is, this is what explains my life. The thing that you hate so much about me and my willingness to just set those rights aside that you're clinging so tightly to. And it's so offensive to you and you're so critical of me. This is what's going on here. It's not because I don't care about those things. It's not because I don't want those things. It's because this is so much more important to me. Isn't this a tremendous challenge? Individually, as a flock, it's not just a challenge to me, it's a searching rebuke. I mean, I've been asking myself this question again and again this week, just mulling this over. What do I know of this passion that Paul seems to have here? How far have I entered into 
this experience? What about you? What about us together? I hope we say yes. We, we would love to see people becoming Christians. We pray for that. Nothing would give us greater joy than that. I think when we compare ourselves to these verses here, I, we have to admit, most of us, that our, our, our passion for these things is sort of weak and kind of fitful. We start and we stop. We, we flare up and it flares up in us and then it dies down. We, sometimes we're very concerned, other times we're totally distracted. We're not concerned enough maybe to actually do anything, to speak. So may the Lord, may the Lord give us, church, together this burning, driving, blazing, sustained longing to bring people to Jesus. This is the aim that will keep us from just shriveling up and to irrelevance as a church. So this is his dominating passion, to win them, to save them. But this, 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 gospel, this gospel-driven zeal, though, it wasn't just sentimental. It wasn't just kind of theoretical or, or good warm fuzzies about, you know, seeing people come to faith in Jesus. No, it meant something very definite, something very difficult in the way that Paul actually lived. And, so, and it will mean something very definite and very difficult in the way that we live and function together as a church if, if we truly are, are gripped by this ambition. And that brings us to the second need that we have to have as a church. And it's this, is we need to exercise what I call faithful flexibility. Faithful flexibility. So he says in verse 22, I have become all things to all people. Now, when we hear that phrase today, that's kind of a, uh, it, it doesn't ring, it has a very negative connotation. And so it's used of people who are kind of hypocritical, two-faced. They believe, say something one day, they say something else the next day, I mean, in a in this uh, campaign season that we're in, we, you might hear this. He or she is all things to all people. To say whatever the people want to hear, and, and, and that's it. So we don't respect people who are all things to all people. But that's not how Paul's using this. It's actually the exact opposite of what he's saying. He's not being inconsistent. We'll see this in a moment. He's being extremely consistent in, in, in this. Because everything in life is done for the sake of the gospel. There's consistency. So he says in verse 20, To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So what a flexible flexible man Paul is. Tremendously flexible unselfishly flexible here. And so something to note about Paul, we know he's a Jew by birth. He's Jewish background believer, but he doesn't see himself, maybe we think like this, we, maybe this is how Paul thought himself as a Christian Jew. That's not how he saw himself. Someone who normally obeys the Mosaic law, but has to flex in order to win the Gentiles. Like that's where he's got to really be flexible. And he also doesn't see himself as a Gentile either. Because someone who, who, who has to take on the burden of the law to win, in order to win the Jews, what is he, he sees himself as kind of this third position. You notice because he says he has to flex to win the Jews. It's not like that's easy, that's natural. No, I have to become like them. Paul, you, you are a Jew. But he also says, well, I have to flex to win the Gentiles, I have to become like them. So he's in this kind of third position as a Christian. We talked about this a little bit, citizens of heaven, citizens of 
of, of, of this nation. And so if he was spending a day with a group of Jews and they wanted to eat kosher foods, understandably, that's fine with Paul. He fitted right in. He flexed. He became like them. He didn't trample on all their sensibilities. He, he just went along with them. And if he was with a group of people who were still living as those under the law, whether they were Jews, whether they were Gentile proselytes, and they wanted to observe an Old Testament feast or festival, Passover, he'd say, yeah, that's great. I'm in. He fitted right in. On the other hand, if he was out with a group of Gentiles and they were, they were eating pork spare ribs, he's like, bring it on. I'm great. That sounds great. I want some bacon with my eggs, just like you're eating. I mean, this is fantastic. And so to those without the law, I became as one not having the law. So that this is what you see. He, he never asked himself. This was never the driving question. What do I want? What, 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 what do I want right now? No, the question was, how can I fit in? How can I get close to these people? How, how can I identify with them so as to win them to Christ? Because that's what's driving me. How, he, he's very, very flexible. But it's not just flexibility to, to blend in and to kind of morph and just go in with them. No, it's faithful. He, he would never, ever sacrifice biblical truth and morality. And so you know that, you note this, he, there's these two little clauses that when I read it a moment ago, I just skipped over them. It's in parentheses here, verse 20 and 21. So he clarifies his point. He says, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, parentheses, though not being myself under the law. See what he's saying? He, he's saying, I'm willing to go along with these Jewish feasts and customs, that's fine. I'm willing to become like a Jew, but never if it's linked to salvation. I'm not under the law. It never, never if people start saying you need to do this in order to be saved. Nope, not willing. And then in verse 21, he says, To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. And what he's saying, if, if he's with Gentiles, he, he disregarded ritual laws. That's fine, and the ceremonial laws. But he's saying, no, I, I can't disregard God's moral law. Never, I'm not going to do anything wrong or sinful, something prohibited by Christ, or something, I'm, I'm going to do those things that are commanded by Christ. So he could say, to the Jews I became a Jew, to the Gentiles I became a Gentile, but he's not going to say, to the gossips I became a gossip, that I might win the gossips. Or to the sexually immoral I became sexually immoral, that I might win, win them. That, that's not it at all. So you see this beautiful balance in Paul's life. Very flexible in matters of practice. Very nimble. At the same time, as rigid as steel when it came to matters of biblical principle and truth. He knew when to bend and when not to bend. He understood clearly how he could compromise and, and practice in, in his life at times and without ever compromising Christian truth or morality. And why? He did this. Because of this driving passion. Not to become cool, not to blend in and fit in and be hip or whatever the word is today. I clearly don't. Uh, none of that. Not to win friends. But what? To remove every possible barrier to the gospel. That's what drove him. So that he wouldn't unnecessarily offend the Jews. The gospel would offend them, but not, not his behavior. So that he wouldn't unnecessary, unnecessarily alienate the Gentiles. So that he wouldn't unnecessarily put a stumbling block in the way of the weak. He wanted, to, he wanted to get close to people so he could speak to them about the Savior. 
And he was criticized. Oh, was he? By the Corinthians for being what they considered inconsistent. Because he was rigid sometimes. He was flexible at other times. But again, inconsistent is what he was not. He was he was rigid and flexible for the exact same reason. Why would, he not, why would he not bend upon principle and upon truth? Why? Because he didn't want to compromise the gospel. Why did he insist upon bending in practice? Because he didn't want to compromise the gospel and make it appear as if something else was more important than the gospel. He stood on principle for the sake of, gospel, of the gospel. He was flexible in practice for the exact same reason. Faithful, faithful flexibility. Again, this is a tremendous challenge for us, isn't it? That we, and individually and collectively as a church, we, we, we need to exercise this kind of faithful flexibility. This is critical for a church to remain faithful to that disciple-making mandate over a half a century. And to, Lord willing, another We know the gospel cannot be and must not be changed or adjusted. We refuse to listen to those who say, and we hear these voices in our day, because 21st century people, they're not going to embrace that that old message. They they don't believe in the supernatural, so you've got to adapt. You've got to adjust the message to suit people today. And we say to that, no, no, a thousand times no. We will never compromise on the message The word of the cross is our hope. This is what we hold up. This is all we have to offer. And we're not going to change it one iota. Honestly, I don't think that's our biggest temptation. Not that we're immune to it. I think the burden of this passage for us, I believe, this is where I'm convicted, is where do we need to be flexible? Where do we need to, to bend and practice? It's not compromised to consider how this question, how do we become all things to all people that we might win more? How do we do that practically? What does that look like for us? What rights and freedoms and preferences and man-made traditions do we need to give up so as to win more? Clear potential obstacles for the path of the gospel. What barriers need to be broken down? Are there rights or preferences or opinions more important to us than the progress of the gospel in our community and around the world? I think these are questions we need to, we need to consider. And so there's this, there's this tremendous opportunity for us to acknowledge that here. And, and so there, there are, we, we find in our day, I don't think it's hard, you, you, can, you, find, you find professing Christians who would rather kill human beings than to give up rights. At least this is what they say. And in contrast, Paul says, if I, could, if I could see people saved, I would give up everything. It's just not that important. In the scope of eternity and with heaven in view, I would give it up everything except I would not sin. I wouldn't sin to save a thousand souls. I wouldn't do anything. I, 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 but everything else, I'd give it up. I'd let it go. Paul, Paul was criticized for that, bitterly criticized by his fellow Christians, called a compromiser, a weakling, a sellout. And I think any Christian today, any church today who takes this passage seriously will probably be criticized as well. 
And so, but this is vital. We can't shout at people over a wall. We can't win people that we're not close to. We can't conduct evangelism by screaming through a megaphone. We have to, we have to be all things to all people. Draw close. Listen, sit, get to know people, understand them, be close. And that's hard and that's costly. It means something very definite and very difficult for us, just as it did for Paul. So let's pray. Let's pray this would, we would share this dominating, controlling passion to do everything for the sake of the gospel, to win more. Let's resolve to be faithfully flexible, holding fast to the word of the cross, never accommodating it, never substituting it or downplaying the message of the gospel, but, but building greater flexibility so that we can become all things to all people, that we might win more. And then that finally, and we're done. And we'll be quick here. The third ongoing need we have as a church is, to, is we need this prize-pursuing endurance. Prize-pursuing endurance. And so he draws this illustration from something the Corinthians were very, very familiar with and something we as Americans can appreciate too, this athletic competition. And so uh, Corinth, it hosted the Isthmian Games, which were basically the second most important games at the time. So they had it every, every other year. Uh, this was second and behind only the Olympics in terms of importance at that time in the world. And so Paul uses an illustration from that, something they were very well aware of, to make this point. And so verse 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So he's saying when a runner goes out on the track, he goes to win. He's not out there to have a pleasant jog, to you know, just kind of pick daisies and to enjoy the weather and the beautiful day like today. No, he goes to win and he gives, gives everything to that end. He says, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about doing everything for the sake of the gospel. Remember the context. I know I've heard this passage so many times as an as a, you know, athlete growing up and stuff. This was the devotional FCA every night, you know, kind of a thing. And, and it was always ripped out of context. But think of, think of what he's saying. This is, he's laying aside rights, laying aside our freedoms, anything that would hinder the gospel. He's saying, this is, this is what we're saying. We're not out for a jog. We're running to win. It costs everything. And we're willing to do that. He says, verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Now, in, in ancient Greece, you had, to, you, had to, you had to train for 10 months before you were even allowed to enter the Olympic Games. And so he's saying here, Paul says, Christians, <coughs> to, that the Christian is to be self-disciplined, to, again, lay aside everything, all of those rights and freedoms and preferences that could possibly be obstacles to the gospel. He says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. They, they, in, in Corinth, the prize for the winner of the Isthmian Games was, was this wreath made of wilted celery. Wilted celery. And we have gold medals, at least, in, in our Olympics today. So you basically, you, you train, you exercise, you discipline yourselves, you give up everything for months at a time to basically get a piece of salad on your head. And, and this is what they competed for. What does he say? But we, we are running for this imperishable <laughs> crown of glory. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Always dangerous to cough right now. <coughs> Never mow on Saturday. Note to self. <coughs> if you bring someone to the Savior, there's blessing, there's reward in heaven for you. 
He's like, is this not worth more than a gold medal? Then, 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 a, then a prize that's going to perish. He said, this is his point. He's just saying, stop coddling yourselves. Worrying about your rights, your freedoms, what makes your life comfortable, and clinging to those things, your knowledge, your freedoms, your liberties, all these things. Let, let's get down to the Christian race. Let's run it with everything we have. Let's exercise self-discipline. Let's, let's let things go. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Throw aside those things that are getting in the way. What's getting in the way? And when he says the end, so I do not run aimlessly, but I, I do not box as one beating the air. No, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I, might be, I should myself be disqualified. Now, disqualified has nothing to do with whatsoever with losing their salvation. And, and there's no way you could squeeze that one into this text. That's not the context at all. This is a metaphor about how we approach the Christian life. It, it, and so Paul's saying we, we, he will do everything necessary to keep, from, to, to, to keep on competing effectively. He's not going to get distracted by per, from pursuing this prize for which he's trained. And this is, this is the need we have, church, because we can get distracted. There are a thousand distractions for us as a church. <coughs> we can take our eyes off the prize if there's going to be endurance in this, if we're going to have the stick to it needed to keep this ambition controlling us, to keep on with this faithful flexibility, we're going to have to have this endurance. We're going to have to make it through the hard times, through the difficult workouts, through the challenging days and the, and the days when it's not just easy and it's not as simple, but it's, it's beating our bodies, it's laying down those rights. Why? Because this prize is in front of us, that I might win them, save them. Enjoy the blessings of the gospel with them. That the gospel won't be hindered. This is what's compelling us. We need this. We need the searching light of this passage. We need the spirit to bring it in. Because we're in a race. I know sometimes we can act like we're out for a nice jog on a pretty day like today. But we're, 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 we're running to win. We need to be. So wouldn't, wouldn't it be... A wonderful thing for us to see together as a church. We just pour ourselves out for others. Lay aside our rights as Jesus did. I know that's not natural to us. That's not what we naturally revert to. It's not what I naturally revert to. This has to be the work of God's Spirit in us. To lay those things aside. And so will we pray for this dominating passion to, to win people to Christ? Will we be willing to develop this faithful flexibility? Now, I don't have all the easy answers. I realize some of you are like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what's that going to look like? I, I don't know. I don't know uh, in what ways you and I can and should be more flexible in, 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 in those things. And so I'm not going to give you a list of this is exactly what this needs to look like as our church or for you individually. It's going to be probably look a little differently for each one of us. But it, it will be definite, and it will be difficult. I can assure you of that. It will cost us individually and as a church if we, if we develop this, as we sustain this. And, and then the question, will we run with endurance? Because it's not easy. It's not easy to live like this and to minister like this. Will we run with endurance so as to get the prize? How can we be for another 50 years? Faithful in the charge that the Lord has given us if he tarries. It's going to be because we're, we're all things to all people that we might save some. Let's pray. Lord, would you...
would you um, keep us faithful this, to this task, Lord? Not because we're so, not because we're so worthy of it, because, but because you, you are worthy of it. We're thankful for the, the legacy in this church, and it's not, again, because of our grit. It's because of your grace, Lord, and so, uh, and that's what we're going to need going forward, Lord, and this table that we're going to eat and drink from in a moment is set before us to remind us of this very thing. It is, it is not our work, Lord. It is yours, Christ, that we're founded upon, and so as we eat and drink in a moment and do that together with joy, uh, just set before us this vision of Christ again. And call us back to the, the, the hope that we have in Jesus to do this very thing that we're, you've called us to. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.